everyday injustice. Too many wrongful convictions, corruption has infected the criminal justice system. Leaving too many people helpless, fighting for their lives instead of receiving justice, people suffer. Is that why they say justice is blind? Hello and welcome to the Everyday Injustice Podcast. I'm your host, David Greenwald. For the past 10 years, we have operated Vanguard Court Watches in California, including San Francisco, Sacramento, and Yolo counties. Our goal? Expose everyday court injustices, and now, more broadly, shine a spotlight on injustices in the entire criminal justice system, in the form of wrongful convictions, police and prosecutorial misconduct, and mass incarceration. This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday Injustice. Today on Everyday Injustice, we have Eric Strong, who announced last week that he is running for L.A. County Sheriff. So welcome to our show, Eric. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, David. Um, so... Uh, Tell us why you're running for sheriff. You know, um, I've been in L.A. County my entire life. I've got kids, got family. I've been in law enforcement most of my adult life, uh, close to 30 years. And uh, I would need to see a change. You know, it's time for us to do things a little bit different. You know, I want my kids to be able to grow up and their kids to be able to grow up in a safe environment. I want them to be able to uh, not be fearful of law enforcement, and I want them to feel comfortable, you know, dealing with the police if they should ever have to. And I think it's just really time for some for some significant change. I mean, what we've been seeing here uh, for the last, you know, several decades, nothing's changed. And uh, we need to have somebody that's going to be transparent, hold people accountable, and really come in and make a difference instead of just kind of giving that political uh, spewing about making change but nothing really changes it all stays the same so tell us a bit about your background yeah, born and raised here in la county um the st john bosco high school left there went to ucla messed around in school for a few years i eventually joined the marine corps um got into law enforcement back in 1993 after growing up, I thought I wanted to be an attorney, but got into law enforcement with the Compton Police Department in, in 93, where I worked gangs. I was a field training officer. I was on the SWAT team, did a lot of stuff with the Metro Task Force. I left there for a brief moment, went to Pasadena for a little less than a year. Uh, after some change in leadership at Compton, I went back. And then about a year later, we were absorbed into the Sheriff's Department, where I had an opportunity to do a lot more. Uh, obviously being a much larger department, uh, started working in youth programs and teaching the DARE in the same programs. Then I went on to um, working at a youth center where I put together curriculums. I was the PAL coordinator, worked with the clergy, and from there promoted. Uh, worked several stations, worked courts, worked custody, worked internal affairs, you know, I, I pretty much have run the gamut of law enforcement experience and uh, always trying to change uh, assignments after about two or three years, always trying to learn something new. 
And um, talk a little bit about your experience uh, at the sheriff's department since you've uh, done a lot there. You know, interesting thing is I wasn't, I, I'm not from the sheriff's department, so to say, although I've been there 21 years. You know, I didn't get absorbed into their culture. I didn't uh, attend their academy. So it's a very, very interesting department. It's a good department with thousands of good men and women, both sworn and professional, that, that work hard every day. But it has a very different culture from other agencies. You know, I attended the FBI National Academy a few years back, and I discussed some of the things that are going on in the sheriff's department. You know, some of the culture with the cliques and the gangs and, and so forth. And, you know, there's nobody else that really has that experience in their agencies. Uh, the sheriff's department is very unique. Um, but I've, I've had a good time there. I've met a lot of good people. Like I said, worked internal affairs, worked in our audit and accountability bureau, was the unit commander there. Also the unit commander of our advocacy bureau, which is our employment law. Uh, you know, the, the sheriff's department is... Um, it's big and it's got a lot of moving parts to it. So naturally, you know, if you're going to take on the incumbent, you obviously have a problem with the incumbent. Um, so can, can you talk a bit about your concerns with Sheriff Villanueva? You know, David, he walked in to this position um, with not a lot of experience. I mean, the, the most that he obtained experience wise, is um, a watch commander uh, at a patrol station. And, you know, whereas that's a very important position on the department, it lends to limited experience it, and it's solely based on patrol. Everybody that I've talked to, um, all the different organizations, groups, people, uh, you know, a lot of people have said that he tricked them. You know, he lied to them. Uh, he's come in and I think he's really done the department a disservice. Uh, he's damaged relationships with the Board of Supervisors. Um, he's damaged relationships with or other organizations and agencies. And I think eventually that all comes down to hurting the department and deputies in general. And it hurts the public. So, no, I don't necessarily agree with a lot of the things that he's done. And uh, I definitely think that the department need somebody to get it back on track to repair these relationships and, and, and to hold accountable um, the department's employees. And it really is going to bring true transparency. Um, and, and maybe a little bit more specifics on what your problems are with him. I mean, uh, obviously, a lot of people are or maybe familiar with uh, his uh, dispute uh, with the Board of Supervisors. But, I mean, how do you react to that? And, and how would you do, um, how would you handle a situation like that differently, maybe? You mean with the Board of Supervisors? Yeah. You know, first of all, you, you have to realize that you have to play nice in the sandbox with people. You know, whether you like them or not, whether you agree with them or not, you know, we're, we're all in this process of, of L.A. County together. And you don't have to agree with everything that they say or do or everything they stand for. But you have to be able to get along with people. You have to be able to work with them. Uh, you know, if you just shut everybody down and tell everybody they're all wrong and you're the only one that's right, you're not going to get very far. You know, that's hurting the department. You know, that's hurting the department and 
terms of budget, that's hurting the department in terms of personnel, uh, that's hurting the deputies that are out there. Uh, it's just, you know, it's not a way to go about gaining cooperation and doing business. It's, it's like anything, um, you know, in any, in any other course, you just have to be able to work with people and, and play nice in the sandbox. Um, and then in, in terms of your policies, I mean, what policies would you put forward that are different from what currently exists in the department? Policy-wise, you know, we have to have true accountability and we have to have true transparency. Uh, the sheriff came in and, and spent almost a year uh, fighting to get somebody back on the job that, that clearly did not deserve that. Uh, that's just, you know, the, an egregious example and the biggest example of the type of policies and accountability that, that he's damaged. Uh, true transparency. You know, you say you want to be transparent, but every time there's a request in for any documents, every time there's, you know, um, a request from oversight, it seems to be fought all along the way. You know, so my policy, honestly, my practice is going to be work with a spirit of cooperation. You know, you look at his recent statements about, you know, deputy gangs and cliques. You know, there's... Um, there's no, there's no candid answer to that from him. It's always, well, they don't exist and, you know, they're not there. And then it's, I got rid of them. And then it's, I put policies in place uh, yet. And still, they're still out there. They're causing harm to the public. You know, look at homelessness, uh, mental health issues. You know, we have plenty of homelessness and mental health issues uh, and things that we can deal with within our own county. But instead, he wants to go to Venice Beach uh, outside of the jurisdiction. Sure, it's within L.A. County, but there's another agency. There's another city that's responsible for that area. And he wants to go and, you know, tackle that for political reasons. So, you know, my policies are going to do what's best for the county uh, citizens and, and the residents there. My policies are going to be about community first. You know, my policies are going to be uh, about holding deputies accountable and just compassion respect and dignity-based policing. So, um, you know, what do you see as the primary charge of the sheriff's department? Primary charge is to serve the public, to provide protection, uh, to enforce the law, uh, to provide services, uh, to protect uh, the inmates within the jails, you know, to, to maintain the safety in order of those incarcerated and um, provide those basic law enforcement services and community uh, services that we should be doing every day. Um, and in, in what ways do you think that Villanueva is falling short in, in that charge? Yeah, I would say he's falling short. And like I said, he's damaging relationships um, we're still having issues with deputy cliques. Uh, we're still having issues with accountability. We're still having issues with transparency. You know, those things, when you, when you address those things, it creates an organic communication. It creates organic dialogue. It creates organic trust. Uh, when you're fighting against everybody and you're telling everybody that you're the only one that has all the answers, that hurts the public. It hurts the community. 
Um, I don't think that he has done a good job with, you know, proper hiring internally. Uh, the promotional process beyond the rank of, of lieutenant has been has been seriously compromised, even more so than it already was. Uh, you know, he's falling short in a lot of areas. Crime is uh, is is very high. Um, you know, there, there's so many things. I mean, this this whole COVID situation has been you know, ha- had a big impact on the department. And it was late in responding to that. And so there's there's a lot of things. I mean, there's a lot of things that are going on that um, need to be changed. Um, is there a problem uh, with getting deputies uh, to uh, vaccinate? You know, I don't know if there's a problem with that. Uh, we are not at that point right at the moment where the, the mandate has been um, implemented. We haven't hit that deadline. Uh, a lot of the deputies that I talked to have been vaccinated. Uh, they, they were vaccinated early on. They did it by choice. Uh, I'm not privy to the exact numbers of who, who's vaccinated right now. Um, but for the most part, I think that the people that I'm speaking to, they see the need for it. They see the need because we're actually, we're an agency that's going out and contacting the public. You know, so there's, there's a group well, out there, I'm sure, that are, that, are not, that are not so fond of the idea, especially the mandate. For example, you know, when San Francisco announced that they were going to have mandated vaccinations, um, uh, the deputy uh, union uh, basically threatened that they would, uh, there would be mass resignations. Are, are you seeing anything like that in L.A.? I have not personally heard anything like that at, at all. I, you know, spoken to lots of deputies, um, even supervisory personnel, and I'm not hearing anything like that whatsoever. Um, and then I wanted to talk a little bit uh, about uh, the, the deputy click thing. So um, for, for those of us who don't live in L.A., uh, but may have heard about this, uh, what what exactly is it? Um, you know what uh, what is what is the problem? What what what's occurred? And then what are you recommending uh, be done about it? That's a very good question, and you know that's uh, it, that's a long answer. This, this is something that's been going on for decades. Uh, you know, going back to the Vikings and, and regulators and, and grim reapers. And now we have ex- executioners, uh, banditos. Now, these cliques are basically a group of deputies who get into a particular station and, you know, they're, it, it's not inclusive. So it's exclusive. You have to be invited into this. You have to so sort of, be indoctrinated into it by doing certain things, certain actions. Now, David, I am not in a, any clique, never have been, and never even have been approached to be in one. So, you know, I couldn't tell you the exact language that goes on with, hey, this is what you got to do if you want to be in the clique. However, uh, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. And there have been lawsuits and depositions that have uh, shown that these clicks and these tattoos and 
these organizations do exist. Uh, there's been lawsuits and, and depositions that show that after a certain activity, maybe a shooting, is when people get these tattoos. So it, I wouldn't say, and it's it's exclusive. Not anybody, you know, if it was just the station, Pride, as some of them try to say, then everybody that worked that station could be included in it. But that is not the case. Uh, these deputy cliques have assaulted other deputies. Um, and, and I mean, violent assaults. You know, I actually worked a case with uh, one of them when I was in internal affairs. I did a huge investigation on uh, a quiet cannon Christmas party where a group of deputies from a particular floor at Men's Central Jail uh, basically jumped on, on a, basically six or seven to two, if I'm not mistaken, and, and beat down and, and stomped on other deputy sheriffs. You know, there's something wrong with that. First of all, I think in order to handle it, we have to admit that it exists. We can't keep saying, oh, well, you know, it's just a bunch of guys that have station pride. We can't keep saying it's just a softball team. You know, we have to be uh, candid and say, yeah, there's a problem here. And then we got to take affirmative steps to deal with it. Um, so thanks for that. Um, so the other thing I'm really kind of curious about, and I'm going to ask it like this because it kind of gives me, um, you know, a sense for where you're coming from. So when you see something uh, like the George Floyd incident and, and, the, and the killing of George Floyd, I mean, how do you react to that as, as a law enforcement officer? What, when you watch that, what, what's, what goes through your mind? I'm disgusted. I'm appalled. Um, I'm hurt. You know, I'm hurt that the lack of humanity exists, uh, not only in this world, but in this in this profession where we're supposed to protect people. Uh, I'm appalled at the other officers that were there that allowed it to happen and didn't do anything about it. To me, that is probably one of the most, if not the most egregious and, and appalling thing that I could have seen from law enforcement. Uh, it's something from the very moment that it happened, you know, I spoke out against, um, you know, I, I go back to here in L.A. County, the the 1992 uh, Rodney King. I'm sorry, that was the riots, uh, but the Rodney King incident, you know, and, and seeing that video back in the 90s, early 90s, you know, it was this was more appalling because it resulted in a death and it resulted in a death right there on camera in 20, 2020 you know, which is, which is absolutely ridiculous, but um, it's just, it's just a shame. And it gives a, a serious black eye to all of law enforcement. Um, yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I think was most striking to me is that, I mean, I, I kept wondering what, what's going through this guy's head because, you know, the guy's complaining he can't breathe and he's starting to become unresponsive and he's still not you know, yielding to, uh, to medical treatment or anything. I mean, what goes through somebody's mind when this is happening to, uh, to have that kind of disconnect? Yeah, that, that's something that only uh, uh, Derek Chauvin can answer for you. I have no idea. You know, I really don't. And, and it's like I said, it's just a pure lack of 
of humanity, a pure lack of compassion for another human being. You know, I don't see, you know, as a force instructor, you know, I've been a force instructor on the department, you know, certified by California Peace Officers of Standards and Training. And there's absolutely no reason for that. Uh, I've been a field training officer, you know, where I've taught, I teach the new police officers just coming out of the academy. I would never teach anything like that. Uh, I, I've been in internal affairs and I've investigated, you know, uses of force and shootings. I've never seen anything like that before in my entire career. Um, there is, there's no excuse for it. And I, I, I couldn't tell you what was going through that man's mind other than if you ask me, it just had to be a, a pure lack of just being a human being. Yeah. And you know, what, what's interesting to me is um, when I talk to law enforcement about George Floyd, and it's, it, it's a good example because everybody knows it, everybody's seen it, everybody's familiar with it. So you don't have to really explain it to anyone, but you know, most of the people, I would say like two thirds of law enforcement I talk to react just like you did. Um, you know, this is unacceptable. It shouldn't have happened. That other third, though, I got to tell you, they're defending it still. Yeah. Um, how do you react to that? You know, I think George Floyd in this incident was the most vocal that I've ever seen law enforcement come out and speak against law enforcement. And you just said it two thirds. You know, there's lots of incidents out there that you don't even get that. Um, that one third, I, I'm sad to say that I really believe that they are, you know, supporting or defending the badge just because it's the badge. You know, no other reason. You know, law enforcement has a bad history and a bad reputation of defending law enforcement just because they're law enforcement. And that's the plan. I mean, it, it sounds ridiculous, but, you know, right or wrong, Hey, this is our brother and, and uh, brother in the badge, and we got to defend them. I can't. I, I would love to have a discussion with some of those people and just you know have them explain to me, uh, with my experience, uh, with with my training, justify that. I don't see that they could do it other than just well. I just think because I, I don't know what their logic behind it is. I don't know what their rationale behind it is, but. Uh, th there's not anybody that can say anything that would convince me that that was just a malicious, intentional act of, of, of murder, and bottom line. And I want to be fair, you know, uh, I do think law enforcement's reaction to George Floyd was a lot better than it has been to a lot of the other high profile incidents. So I, I don't want to uh, let that uh, slide by either, but I, you know, I'm just surprised that that one third number is as high as it is. So I want to take us a little closer to home for you. Um, so, um, you know, this summer, um, you know, I think uh, it caught a lot of people off guard uh, when uh, Villanueva uh, basically came out and said that he had grave concerns over the David Ordaz um, uh, shooting and killing. Um, are you familiar enough with that one to be able to speak to that? No, I don't know all the details in that case. Um, you know, to, to really speak to it, uh, I have not seen or, or been a part of that investigation. 
All right. Um, so under your watch, um, you know, how are you going to change kind of the culture of transparency? And I use that word kind of intentionally um, because it really is a culture that that's kind of bred into law enforcement in terms of, uh, you know, circling the wagons when something happens. And, and what really needs to happen is a culture change, in my opinion, as somebody who just watches this stuff rather than works in it, um, that, you know, you got to get to the point where, you know, if you believe that most officers are decent, and I, I believe that most officers are decent, I, I, I have some concerns about a lot of officers, but I think most in their heart are decent. Um, but how do you get though, how do you empower those decent officers to do the right thing? Let's ask it that way. You said it best. You use the word culture and culture is something that is passed down. It's something that comes from generation to generation. It's passed down decade to decade. What, what does that tell us? That tells us that all along. This has been something that's come from the top down. It's something that has come from the very highest leadership positions within this department that has said this transparency thing is not good. You know, don't speak out against things. When you see something, you know, you go the other way. But let me just say this about law enforcement. Police officers very quickly learn who they can do something in front of and who they cannot. So if they're riding with you and there is a suggestion or there is an idea of doing something nefarious, of doing something and you say, no, I don't, you know, that's not something I'm, I'm cool with. That's not something I do. We're not going to do that. If that person has it in their mind, that that's who they are because that's the way they've been trained or taught from someone else. They're going to know, hey, you know what? We can't do that in front of Eric Strong. So they're gonna ride with somebody else a week or two later or three months later or however long it is. And, and this is gonna come up again. And somebody is gonna say, hey, yeah, let's do it. And they're gonna, and that's how you start kind of forming these groups of who you can do things in front of and who you can't. So why that's important is because all of those police officers that you're saying, how do we get them to come forward? You know, when you get a group of deputies, or even if it's just two, let's just say two deputies that are partners in a car, they know who they can do things in front of and who they can't. So what happens is oftentimes they're not doing anything that is against policy, that is illegal, that is nefarious in front of people that they don't believe they can trust, if that makes any sense. So a lot of the stuff that we know and we hear about we honestly, David, we get it from the people in the streets and the community. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've been told, hey, you know, hey, so-and-so's dirty, talking about a police officer, you know, and you can, you can confront them with it. And they're not going to, they're not going to go and admit it. So we get them to come forward by making it very comfortable for them to come forward in the very beginning. We get them comfortable by saying, you are doing the right thing and they're praised. They're not ostracized. You know, right now the culture is if 
you're the person speaking out against another police officer doing ill, you become the snitch or the rat, or you become the one that gets, you know, pushed to the side that nobody wants to work with. We got to reverse that. We got to reverse that. And that's going to come with, you know, um, getting people to understand, guess what? When you report it, it's going to, something's going to happen. Because when you report it to the sergeant or the lieutenant, and the sergeant or the lieutenant reports it to the captain, and the captain reports it to the commander and the chief, and then it comes back down the chain, hey, yeah, no, we're not doing anything with that. That right there, David, is the problem. The problem has come from the top down. You know, and, and it's been allowed and it's been allowed to fester for decades. So this is not going to be an overnight fix. This is going to take some serious time and it's going to take some some serious reinforcing. And it's going to take putting the right people in all the positions of leadership to make a difference. So are you going to come in and crack heads or uh, what, what's your approach going to be to kind of change that culture? How do we change anything? I mean, you know, how do you build a relationship with anybody? You know, it comes from from talking. It comes from dialogue. It comes from, you know, stating, hey, these are my expectations. This is what I, you know, expect. And this is what I'm going to hold you accountable to. And I hate to compare deputy sheriffs to, you know, I'm not trying to compare them to kids or anything. But the bottom line is, you know, when you have children, you teach them. You teach them the right thing to do. I don't think any of us teach, teach our children to be rude to be disrespectful. Now they may see it. They may see it and emulate it. But when we send them to kindergarten and preschool, we tell them, Hey, go be nice. Say, please say, thank you. Say you're sorry when you're supposed to. Now, when they see us interact with people as the adults in the street, blowing our horns in the car, road raging, that's where they pick up these kind of things. So uh, it's going to start with, no, not head cracking. It's going to start with a dialogue to say, look, this is what we need to be doing. This is how we do it. This is how we're going to do it. And, and we're going to follow the policy. The policies are in place. The laws are in place. We need to just follow them. And once those expectations are laid out, we have to have accountability. And again, that accountability has to start from the very top. You know, I can't, I can't hold deputies accountable for something, but then when a chief does it, say, oh, well, let's not let this get out. You know, we're, we're going to keep this under wraps. No, it has to start from the very top and go all the way down. Um, and, and do you have a sense, um, you know, is the department going to back you if you get uh, elected to this position or is there, uh, there going to be a rebellion? You know, I'd like to think that they're going to back me. I mean, I, I, I'm going to say this. There are far more people, uh, professional staff, sworn deputies that want to see this department go in a good direction. They want to see, you know, again, I talked about these cliques and these gangs and I mentioned them being exclusive. So there's far more deputies on the outside of these cliques than there are on the inside. I, what I really truly believe is that deputies have come to accept it because nothing's ever been done about it. You know, so now it's like, well, they're here and we don't have any choice in it. I mean, we go back to, you know, the Baca and Tanaka days, you know, nothing was done then, you know, and, and, and here we are, you know, 
almost 10 years later and, and we're still dealing with it. So I think a lot of times deputies get to the point where they're saying, hey, it's just part of, you know, it just kind of goes along with the territory. But when somebody comes up and actually definitively does something, I think it will gain a lot of support, and a lot of traction. Why do you think there have been kind of a series of uh, ineffectual sheriffs in L.A.? <laughs> I, I think it has to do a lot with the promotional process. And here's beyond the rank of lieutenant, there is no legitimate grievable, testable process, testing process. Uh, David, it's really just a tap on the shoulder. And when that's all that it takes and you're sitting up there saying, waving and say, hey, look at me, look at me. Uh, I want that tap on the shoulder. What do you really have to do? What do you really have to give? You have to give allegiance. You have to give this quote unquote loyalty. You have to be willing to say, I'm going to deliver your message, sir, ma'am, how you want me to deliver it, where you want me to deliver it, and when you want me to deliver it. And, and I promise you, I'll do it just as you asked me to. So what that creates is an environment where nobody speaks up. Uh, nobody pretty much has dissenting ideas and opinions. And depending on the leadership, some allow for a little bit more you know, discussion and debate. But really what it comes down to is when you don't have a testable, grievable process, you basically silence, you know, a vast majority of your leadership because what do they want to do? Many people, not everybody, many people want to find their path to better living. And how do you find that? By giving allegiance, by saying, I'll, I'll, I'll do your bidding, sir. So that's what we've had. And, I mean, and when you have that type of leadership, uh, you, you have a huge following that's uh, allowing the emperor to run around with no clothes on. You know, they don't want to say anything because they don't want to upset the apple cart. They, they just want to be, hey, just just pick me, just tap my shoulder and, and I'll do what you asked me to do. That That's a huge problem. Um, so I've seen proposals that range from ending elections for sheriffs. Uh, there was a proposal that has now become a two year bill that would allow anyone to run for sheriff doesn't have to have a law enforcement background. I mean, are, are either of those approaches uh, something that would help or you think it would make it worse? You know, I, I don't think it would. I don't think it would help. You know, here's, here's the deal. You have one sheriff in every county and you have dozens and dozens of chiefs of police that are appointed by a city council, a mayor, or a city manager. Law enforcement all over the country and all over the state is still having the same problems. You know, I think at least an elected official should represent the voice of the people. You know, so I don't think just giving the power to a point, I think we're gonna get the same thing because let's take a chief of police, for example. They're appointed by a mayor. And whereas, yes, they do have um, control of the police department, they still have somebody that they have to answer to. And if they're not doing what that mayor, that city council likes, even with a contract, you know, at times they can be removed. 
So I don't think that, you know, getting rid of the election is the way to go. You know, as far as being an elected official, I guess if you wanted to say equal fairness to everybody, then sure, anybody could run. I don't think that a lay person that's never been in law enforcement is probably, this is just my opinion, would be the best person to run uh, a huge organization like the Sheriff's Department. Um, I just think that you need that experience to know what's going on out there, to know what's happening. And, and to have been able to say, I've been there, I've done that, I can understand why we need to change it or why we need to keep it the same. Um, I, guess it would, I guess it would be equivalent then, to, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, keep going. I was gonna say, I guess it would be equivalent to, you know, putting a, a police officer on, on a medical board, you know, and trying to tell doctors, you know, uh, where they make mistakes and how they should have done a surgery. So final question, um, you know, what sheriff uh, around the country uh, do you look up to and uh, whose style that you might uh, consider emulating? I, I can't say that there's a sheriff around the country. I, I want to say my ideas are kind of eclectic. You know, I take a little bit from everybody, you know, and, and I try to put it together um, and, and, and see what's worked and what hasn't worked, you know, and I, I'm, I'm somebody that's always open to listen and to learn, you know, a lot of the things that we're doing out here, David, we, we don't need to recreate the wheel. You know, we need to fine tune it. We need to adjust it to fit our particular community, our particular geographic area, our particular demographic, whatever, whatever it is that, you know, we need to make those adjustments and fine tuning them to. Um, I'm not really, I'm not really a, a student of other sheriffs and chiefs. I'm a student of the profession and I'm a student of people in the community. You know, being a member of the community myself, you know, having experienced many of the things that uh, many people today are talking about when it comes to dealing with law enforcement. You know, that's what I'm a student of humanity. So when's the election? The election is in June of 2022. So uh, about nine months away. It, and, it, and it will go very quickly. Yes, sir. Nine months. Yes. And, and may the next nine months be less unusual than the previous nine months. <laughs> well, um, I think it's only going to get more interesting <laughs> as we get closer to it. You know, but I, I really, you know, I really think that it's going to be necessary for us to stay focused on what the mission and what the goal is. And that is we have to rebuild uh, the trust and the communication with every community, you know, not just some, every community, every neighborhood. Uh, we, we, we have to do better than what we've been doing. All right. Well, I want to thank you for coming on and uh, talking about your uh, Candace candidacy and your vision for the sheriff's department in LA. Thank you, David. I'd be happy to come on again and, and discuss further any other issues or any other concerns, incidents that come out. Uh, I appreciate your time tonight. I appreciate it very much. This has been Everyday Injustice. I'm your host, David Greenwald. We were talking today with Eric Strong, who is running for sheriff in LA 
will be on the ballot in June of 2022, which is uh, not that long from now. Uh, join us again next time for more Tales from the Injustice System. Thank you to George Powell and Norman Mousequake Barrett for the use of our opening Everyday Injustice. You can see more of George's music at www.justiceforgeorgepowell.com. That's justiceforgeorgepowell, all one word, dot com.